I just don't have the energy to fight this urge. Mary Claire and I have seen that exact sentence, or something like it, show up many, many times in our client's Facebook group. A lot of times, it's a past tense explanation for binge eating. I didn't have the energy to fight, so I ate. Other times, it's a call for support. Like, help me, guys. I don't have the energy to fight this one. It's going to take me down. Talk me out of it. One of my favorite reframes for this situation is to switch I don't have the energy to fight to I don't have the energy to binge. It's so much work opening packages. You have to sit up or stand and go do it and chew and move your arms to put the food in your mouth. You could just lay here motionless. Yeah, I don't have the energy to binge. But why do such a high percentage of people with binge eating disorder get to this state day after day and week after week? Our client Irene laid it out plain as day. Taking breaks that I like, she said, not breaks that I think I should enjoy is hard for me. I realize I put a lot of stress on myself in every possible way, every hour of the day. I have all these rules. Work equals I should try my hardest and do great things. Workouts equals I should maximize every gym session. Everything counts. Walks equals I should walk 10,000 steps a day. Otherwise, I am lazy and have a fat person mindset. Pauses equal I should do something useful or healthy. Otherwise, I'm wasting the opportunity. Social events equals I should do all of them and be happy to do all of them and love it. If I feel like I don't want to go, there's something wrong with me. I worry people will forget about me if I don't go to everything. Weight loss equals I should just follow these steps and lose the kilograms. If you don't do it, you didn't want it enough. Every other human can do it. Why can't you? And then she wrote, writing this is making me understand why I binge. It's to get a breathing hole through all of these demands. Is there a way out of this very harsh way of thinking? Mary Claire and I assured Irene that these rules were definitely not cast in stone somewhere and that we would help her find new pathways of thinking. She already was making important progress just three weeks into the coaching program by noticing these thoughts, her rules about work and rest and exercise, and seeing that they are part of why she binges. Today, we'll talk more about people who have similarities to Irene you might recognize in yourself some of the same sentiments or rules about your work, exercise, rest, and productivity. And it's all tied into self-esteem, food intake, emotional eating, and binge eating. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. In week three of the Breaking Up with Binge Eating program, we have clients talk about predicting their tough situations and preparing for the challenges they can anticipate. Some people identify times of day, such as after dinner or the gap between breakfast and lunch. Other clients mentioned people or situations that challenged them, like returning home from vacation or after spending time with their parents. 
many people also included personal states that were challenging, such as when something unexpectedly goes wrong or when they feel like they might be gaining weight. Several clients mentioned they can anticipate being tired as being a prime trouble spot for them. It doesn't matter if they're feeling tired from workouts, their career, their household chores, tending to kids, or just not getting enough sleep. Feeling tired often leads straight to food. When we talk about planning for these challenges, we want to do a few things. One, we want to uncouple tiredness from food and instead create a straight line to rest. Most of our clients struggled with eating due to tiredness in the evenings when it would be completely possible to go to bed. Second, we want to introduce breaks and rests throughout the day and not have people wait until they feel completely drained and then work on resisting the urge. Mary Claire asked one of our clients, when your body needs rest, what do you typically tell yourself? The client replied, I often acknowledge that I need rest, but I usually think I will rest when I finish, dot, 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 and often don't really end up slowing down or resting. It's like I need to earn it and I haven't done enough yet. Irene, whose list of rules I read a few moments ago, said, Ah, I can relate to this. I will rest when I finish blank. And then when I finish, I have found something new that needs attention, and I don't rest. Or I decide eventually that I need a big rest, preferably with something to eat, and in bed. Several other clients chimed in in agreement. It seems almost everyone has had the same recurring pattern. Get tired, refuse to rest, end up binge eating. The commonality of this problem begs us to ask, why is it so hard for us to rest? Many people don't give themselves permission. Often, this is because long ago, someone instilled in us the message that taking breaks makes you lazy or that it's a waste of time. But of course, if we keep pushing ourselves, something gives out sooner or later. For people with binge eating disorder or an emotional eating habit, that's where the pent-up fatigue and tension come to the surface, through eating. It takes mental work to keep pushing ourselves and driving ourselves onward, and by the end of the day without rest, we may feel like we deserve food as a reward for all of that discomfort and labor we put ourselves through. As you can imagine, this creates a loop which repeats itself. Work without resting during the day, telling ourselves later, later, while we accumulate tension and maybe even resentment as we attend to everyone else. And when we finally decide, okay, it's me time, no wonder there's a tendency to overindulge. It's been delayed and denied and held off for so long that a few quiet minutes on the couch or the porch doesn't feel like enough. Oh no, clients tell me they don't just want quiet time or to settle into a sound sleep. By that point, with all the time they've waited, it's got to be bigger and better. They want cookies and ice cream and television and playing a game because they've put up with so much. It only seems fair. I hope you're beginning to see that this pattern isn't ideal and it isn't required. It's not necessary to bounce back and forth between extremes of self-denial 
and unlimited permissiveness. Taking some rests during the day can correct the whole dynamic. When a person thinks about taking a break, it's commonly assumed that it must be a virtuous break, like a walk or a meditation, or reading a book of intellectual literature or classic poetry. In our minds, this might save us from earning that terrible label of lazy. Many of my clients over the years have realized that they developed the habit of eating throughout the day, not because they were hungry, but because it seemed like a valid reason to stop work for a few minutes. After all, food is a basic human need. No one will judge us for getting food, right? But if we spent those same minutes walking or just stretching our shoulders, we feel like we're risking somebody else thinking we aren't working hard enough. I want to say this loud and clear. You do not need to eat to legitimize taking a break. You can take a break and do absolutely nothing. In fact, that can be the best type of break. The type of rest you enjoy most might be plopping on the couch and watching some silly TV, or just laying in bed with the covers pulled up for half an hour. 20 minutes of below-deck med is better at recharging you than three bowls of cereal. So why all of this to do about taking breaks? As I already mentioned, trying to push ourselves to constantly be productive without allowing ourselves any restoration time can directly lead to binges. But there's more to it than just that. You see, taking breaks to dissipate mental or physical fatigue is just one example of a vital skill I teach my clients that is de-escalation. If you imagine having a steady workday on your feet, as you go through the day, you can imagine your fatigue rises. You feel it in your feet, your legs, your back, your neck. You feel tired. You feel like you want to sit down. If you take breaks like we've been talking about, your muscles get to rest a bit, so by the end of the day, you aren't as tired and physically drained. But other things besides fatigue can lead to escalating distress throughout the day. And one thing I notice a lot is that my clients say they're tired, but instead of going to bed, they go to the kitchen. If they really are plain physically tired, they would want to sleep more than they would want to eat. This tells us something else is going on. If you've ever stayed up late traveling and experienced that feeling where all you want is to fall into a comfy bed and sleep, you know what I mean here. That's not often how people feel at the end of the day. We may be labeling a feeling as tired, but if we want to stay up and snack more than we want to go to sleep, we can deduce that our state is reflecting some level of emotional drain. You can accumulate emotional drain throughout the day, even if you aren't physically exerting yourself. When you have a list of things you need to do that is getting longer faster than you can cross items off, it takes effort to keep calm. You might have to have difficult conversations with unhappy customers or employees, each one leaving you a bit more rattled. You might have a headache or back pain, which worsens throughout the day. Tolerating pain leaves you with a shorter and shorter temper or closer and closer to tears. As we get more and more distressed, 
our brains begin to work differently. Rational thinking decreases and impulse, habit, and emotion take over. In everyday terms, this leads to what I call, F it, I just don't care. I know the consequences, but in the moment, they don't seem to matter one bit. That's what happens when our rational mind quiets. We don't think ahead or about the implications of our actions. Intense distress leads to concern only with right here, right now, and what will feel good in this moment. We all have the capacity in us for self-harming or illogical behavior when we're pushed far enough. So, part of your journey breaking up with binge eating is not letting yourself be pushed that far. Here's how to practice de-escalation in real life. If you think of your distress on a sliding scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is complete serenity, you're blissed out in a yoga class with birds singing, and you feel 0 distress. You are zen. That's 0. 10, on the other hand, you can visualize as being burned at the stake. Maximal distress. Ask yourself, where on this scale does binging or emotional eating occur for you? The odds are, it doesn't happen when you feel little or no distress. When you're at a 1, 2, or 3, it probably feels quite fine. Binge eating isn't popping up on your radar. But as your distress climbs, five, six, seven, it starts to feel like a handful of chips would be just the thing, or maybe I'll try my husband's granola. For susceptible individuals, reaching a nine or a 10 almost guarantees the strongest type of binge urges. And remember, you can think of distress as coming from any cause, physical or mental pain, or a combination of both. So, What I want you to do is notice if you're hitting, say, a five, and de-escalate. De-escalating could mean taking a short walk, going to the bathroom to be alone for a minute, or taking a few deep breaths and saying to yourself, I got this. You might deliberately clear your mental state and let go of some things. Do what you need to do to get yourself back down to a four, or better yet, even a three. If you let yourself escalate and escalate and the numbers get higher and higher on your distress scale, you're setting yourself up for a binge. Instead of repeatedly hitting the end of your rope and then lamenting that you fell into self-harming behavior again, remember, we all lose our rational thinking abilities when we get distressed enough. So the change you need to make is taking responsibility for not letting yourself be pushed to the far high end of the scale. There's an episode of this show called The No-Fail Self-Soothing Dialogue, and it's perfect for de-escalating. So if you're thinking, okay, so how do I do that de-escalating thing again? Just pull up that episode and listen to the four steps. You could put an alarm on your phone and go through the four prompts on your lunch break. I mean, it doesn't have to be a random time. You can do it at the same time every day. Or you might plan to use a de-escalating tool right after a meeting you know is going to be stressful. That's wise self-care. And willingness to use tools like de-escalation is one of the things that helps people the most with recovery from binge eating and emotional eating. 
Don't just listen to the tools we share with you in the show. I'm pushing you. Really use them in your real life. If you have questions or if you need a hand, I'd love to be there for you. I'm Georgie Fear, and you can reach out to me, georgie at nutritionloft.com.